Hello everyone, I'm Stella. I'm Sophia. And I'm Vanessa. We host Generation Discourse. Generation Discourse is a platform for young people to come up with, share, and discuss ideas within the realm of theory and the abstract. You'll find us talking about philosophy, current events, and social concerns. Today, however, we will be discussing slacktivism and its role in social media. Okay, cool. Um, then should we just start with some um, introductions? Um, so um, Sophia and I can start ourselves off. Um, I'm Vanessa. I go to Kristen. Um, I started this with Sophia and another friend called Stella, who unfortunately can't be with us today. Um, but we were inspired by um, our school's philosophy club, where um, we, over the quarantine, we were just kind of really, um, you know, sometimes we just listen in on these discussions without really um, participating. And we thought it was equally as meaningful as joining in them um, ourselves. And so this is what started this podcast. And we just wanted um, perhaps others to also kind of enjoy listening into these kinds of conversations. So on to Sophia. Um, yeah, I go to Westlake Girls, so I wasn't sadly inspired by their um, philosophy group, but I also have an interest in these kind of discussions that I think young people are often excluded from. And yeah, the podcast's main aim is like to get young people involved in these kind of discussions and get their perspective on current events. So, yeah. I think it's so cool that your schools have like a, a whole entire philosophy club dedicated to you know talking about like philosophical issues and like what's going on around the world um as well as the state of mind thing i heard about that it's a really cool initiative um i think for my claims we just have a connections club which unfortunately i'm not a part of um just due to like time constraints and stuff um so yeah we definitely don't have like any initiatives as big as what you guys have but definitely i think it's so important for people to participate in these types of conversations so i'm very thrilled to be here yeah, um, we had Renudi on one time and um, we talked about Connected Wells. Apparently, it's like really, really big. There's like, I think she said there's over like 40 people. And they just kind of. Oh, really? I, I did not know about that. They just sit in like a really, really big circle during lunchtime and just like talk about these things, which is, which is really, really cool, I reckon, because you probably can't get that biggest deal of thing at Kristen ever. All right. Um, well, Ooh. do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah. So my name is G-Men and I go to Rangitoto College. So I'm really liking how like diverse the panel is here tonight. I'm so really uh, thrilled to be here today as well. This is a really interesting concept and I'm glad that I'm part of it. Yeah, awesome. Glad to get, have you guys here. Um, so we'll just kick us off um, with um, just like a first, like a prompting question. But um, remember, this is just something um, more of like a discussion style. We don't want it to really be like a Q&A. We want you guys to be bouncing off each other's ideas. On the issue of um, slacktivism, um, where you see social media is such a huge part of it, especially Gen Z and millennials' lives, do you think that it's become like an alternative to creating meaningful action, or has this become like a meaningful addition to um, actual tangible action? I mean, I guess they probably run parallel with each other, right? Like, I don't think um, going on social media, posting about the different issues you hear, is necessarily mutually exclusive with going out there um, and like creating real change in whatever form that might take. I feel like, you know, just simply put, you can probably go online and spread awareness about issues and do like more meaningful things such as vote, such as like, you know, like those kind of bigger things that we see as more meaningful. Like they're not necessarily mutually exclusive, right? I think when 
I'm thinking about the prompt that you just gave us. I'm naturally inclined to look at that question through the framework of what's happening in the world right now regarding Black Lives Matter movement. I think I definitely agree with Alan in the sense that it's not mutually mutually exclusive. But then again, it's you can see how sometimes simply raising awareness doesn't actually if it's if it doesn't actually manifest itself into physical meaningful action, it not only does actually not achieve anything, but it actually hinders those that actually want to achieve meaningful change. For example, you see this with the hashtag Black Lives Matter, I think, when on Instagram people were posting black squares on their feeds and a bunch of celebrities are doing it as well. And a ton of companies and corporations are also doing this. So I think slacktivism is not only like a cultural issue that people, individuals participate in. I think slacktivism is also an issue that corporations also take part in as well nowadays. And I think that leads to like a totally different tangent because I think it's really interesting how nowadays it's very trendy for a company to be very involved in political issues and for a company to be woke. And so going back to the issue of the, the black squares, the hashtag Black Lives Matter, I'm pretty sure, was hijacked uh, unintentionally by these people that were simply posting black squares to gain social woke points among their peers. Yeah, um, we just had um, Ellen. Um, were were you? Um, did you debate in the last um, PA round? I didn't. Oh well, the motion was um, about um, whether companies should, or was it like commercialized protest movements? And so I'd, I'd originally like taken the stance of like companies should do it because um, I just didn't feel like there was a particular harm. Um, but after having to being like forced to take the side where you had to stand for um, companies not um, taking mm. part in these social movements, like. I, I just kind of realized that like if you this the moment you put like a monetary value on it it just loses a lot of its like intrinsic and um the, its intrinsic value that is really needed for the movement which i think was really interesting to think about mm. right but then like what kind of tangible harms arise out of it kind of you know like meaning right for any kind of movement to move forward like undoubtedly you're not just going to have like the really passionate people who are like primarily affected by it driving it like you're going to want a lot of people who aren't necessarily directly affected by it as the primary group having to like kind of support them as well right in which case like it will probably get co-opted into something that loses some kind of inherent meaning but that doesn't necessarily make it bad like that's probably something that just invariably happens as a movement propels itself forward to create change mm. I, I can see I can see what the merit of that argument as well, definitely. Do you guys think that slacktivism is a product of social media? Do you think that social media has enabled slacktivism? Well, yeah, I, I personally definitely think so. Because like if I think if you engage in that conversation before social media, um, I think um you know, you are more, it's, it's probably a more upfront kind of conversation. And so like, if you're just in talking like with your friend about it in a day-to-day -day basis, like, I feel like if you're, if you're out there saying like, I support Black Lives Matter to a friend who doesn't know much about it, like it's more likely for them to ask you like, so what, um, what, what are the causes for um, why Black Lives Matter is important? Why do you personally support that? Whereas I feel like on social media, like, 
you don't really have much of a stage to explore that and it's really just becomes like an image of you like being like i'm just like a woke like a lib supporter and like Mm. go me give me some more likes Mm. right yeah i think selectivism probably is like heavily propelled by social media simply because with social media when you're not engaging in like face-to-face conversations you're kind of like whenever you post on your story or like make a post on facebook or whatever you're just kind of saying this thing into the void not to any like person directly um which makes it really easy for the worst to just get attributed to like this kind of exterior image of you and not as any kind of conversation mm-hmm. i think it's interesting how you mentioned the void and i think that's definitely true it's very in a way non-confrontational you're sort of putting the message out there but to no one in particular and so it doesn't come with the traditional responsibilities of actual face-to-face communication and another thing that i thought was really interesting about social media fueled selectivism is that you don't have how would you how would you put this i think that with social media it there's also the idea of the the social media bubble because the people that you follow and the people that follow you on social media generally tend to share the same interests. And so slacktivism, it, it just creates an echo chamber, I think. Right. Um, I think, have you seen on social media, these kind of like um, visual templates where you see like, like I'm just talking about like this particular poster. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's basically like a bunch of circles that's supposed to represent people's different social circles. And then like um, they're kind of arranged in like a series with like overlaps between circles. And it kind of represents how like you don't just have like a bunch of closed social circles on social media, but mm. that like they do eventually intersect and then through like, I don't know, the six degrees of separation kind of thing, um, a message promote like promoting some kind of movement eventually gets passed on to people who like would have like would have stood against that movement right yeah? right so, so like is the idea of the echo chamber a common misconception perhaps is it not actually the truth so are you saying that even if people generally tend to group together online in their own bubbles eventually different messages will seep between and percolate between different groups yeah like i guess echo chambers oh sorry yeah i to some extent i agree with ellen because like i personally didn't find out about black lives matter and george floyd through like the news or the radio like i saw it through someone reposting it on their story and so Mm. that was able to eventually get to me i think there is some degree of like permeability between these circles Yeah, I guess, like, echo chambers probably do still exist. My question was just kind of, with the permeability between these circles, is it enough of a force um, to kind of mitigate the idea of echo chambers, or is it, like, negligible enough that it's, that people kind of putting things on social media probably isn't having any actual effect? Mm. Because I think if if we are assuming that echo chambers do exists in our social media spheres in our social media networks then i guess you could also make the assumption that simply raising awareness via slacktivism isn't very effective because you're already raising awareness about issues that your friends already care about but as if as you said 
echo chambers can sort of transmit ideas across boundaries, then I guess you could make the argument that even if people are simply posting posts on their stories for the sake of raising awareness, that could still actually benefit and allow someone else that would not necessarily have heard it otherwise to gain that information. I, I personally think that like it only becomes um, or not problematic, but at least like not useful anymore when like um, after after your like friend group or like whoever your followers are like have already been exposed to your your content on Black Lives Matter. So like I think what's important is like the first onset of like oh like I just found out about this that I never knew about, but then like afterwards like when they're just reposting black squares like you already know all of these things. And so nothing meaningful really comes out of it. And I, so I think like it's in like the later stages of talking about this movement that I think um, nothing much really happens through social media. Mm. Right. So you're mm. saying that kind of like eventually. Um, because very saturated. Trying to get saturated, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Did you guys hear about the k-pop fandom the bts fandom i think it was and they flooded the hashtag white lives matter on twitter with the bts fan cams and they completely drowned it out i thought that was really interesting oh um i didn't hear about that particular one but did you hear about the one where they like kind of um hijacked a trump rally basically mm, yeah i think yeah. it was a yeah. similar fandom as well yeah. yeah so that's quite interesting because Although they're not really physically going out there voting or going, attending physical rallies, they're simply using social media to actually create meaningful change. So I think that's quite interesting as well. Would you classify that as as slacktivism or would that be something in its own right? I mean, I'd ask if that's even meaningful in the first place, like <laughs> other than it just being funny, like mm. big changes I actually do though. Hmm. I guess their argument for doing that was that they were drowning out a hateful hashtag that was attempting to sort of go against the Black Lives Matter movement. But then I guess, then again, I guess you could make the argument that maybe simply drowning out another person's opinion isn't the right way to go about solving a very divisive issue. But from the standpoint of the supporters of Black Lives Matter. I think that was quite interesting and it was definitely humorous as well. Well, I think like if you're, when you're talking about like um, these people trying to drown out the um, kind of like these rallies or whatever that support like white lives or like anti, anti Black Lives Matter, like how, how do you actually, how are you actually able to change these people's minds if like, if that's even possible, you know? Hmm. Is it, is it possible to change their minds? That's what I'm skeptical about. I read somewhere that most people, when it comes to these issues, they already have very deep, uh, deeply ingrained opinions that very rarely change due to meaningful or respectful discourse. And although it's quite cynical, I think that by and large, many people, uh, they don't tend to change their opinions uh, due to meaningful discourse. What's the point of anything? 
<laughs> or maybe, or maybe that's, or maybe that's more America centric. I think, I think it, it, the, that's it. That was definitely a American article that I read about people having already very like firmly ingrained opinions. And I think we're also discussing an American issue as well of black lives matter. It's interesting. Maybe it's different for people in New Zealand. I think maybe that could be the case because New Zealanders in my experience have been friendlier, more open to discussion. Definitely. Um, I think Jimin does have a point though. Like, I don't know, just reversely, imagine somebody trying to convince somebody like one of us that, I don't know, black lives don't matter. And you know, like white supremacy, you're probably like, you probably can't fathom yourself ever being convinced. Right. And I guess like people who do believe in like white lives matter or all lives matter, um, probably have the same kind of mindsets. Mm. Like I definitely have heard stories of people who have kind of believed in those kinds of things, but then had their beliefs shifted from mm. like meaningful discourse with people or like just experiences. But I don't think it's like very frequent or at mm. least like not as frequent as we would probably like it to be. Well, I like what Jimin um, brought up about like the differences in terms of discourse um, between like America and New Zealand, right? So I think um, like what Black Lives Matter has probably like most closely, the way it's most closely affected like New Zealanders' lives is opening up the conversation about like um, the statues, right? Like these colonizers, whether we should be commemorating them for whatever greatness they have like contributed to the development of New Zealand, yet they were still the kind of people who had colonized and like you know, just, like, done really bad things to the Indigenous people of New Zealand. So, like, I feel like, um, like, personally for me, like, it's it's not that good to, like, discuss this in the dichotomy, like, you're going to be people who, like, absolutely hate, uh, like, Indigenous or, like, Black people, and there's going to be people who, like, totally love and support Black Lives Matter. I think, like, what these conversations really target is, like, the people in between who, like, might not necessarily know as much about them, but um, are able to gain, like, a deeper understanding and be able to, like, better develop their own opinion about it. Hmm. That's interesting. When you phrase it like that, you know, when you phrase it, it, it seems like it's almost a, a battle, I guess, trying to, where, where you have two sides and you have people in the middle who aren't too sure about an issue and and you have both sides trying to raise awareness so they can almost claim the undecided people, so to speak. I find that it, it's actually quite an interesting and perhaps accurate depiction. But, um, yeah, mm. I, I, I was listening to the radio the other day and they were talking about um, getting rid of a statue of this, like some colonizer guy in New Zealand. And then like, I was listening to the justification of the mayor, right? And they're basically saying, like, if we don't take this down, they're going to, like, this, they're going to just smash it into pieces anyways. So, like, mm. this is what we kind of have to do. I think, like, when you think about that, like, you're just, you're just really just succumbing to, like, these, on, on like, the other hand, like, a really extreme and kind of, like, almost violent way of taking action. So, like, mm. even though it might be for something that's good, like, mm. say that I'm doing it because I don't want my city to get vandalized. <laughs> Um, yeah yeah it feels kind of weird mm. i i think it's interesting um because of social media issues that we would not have heard about otherwise 
are issues that we we talk about almost daily and think about on on a very regular basis now for example the black lives matter issue without social media it would have been a very domestic issue but due to social media we are having our own discussions about colonization and issues of race and we are you know we in new zealand have people trying to pull down statues of people in the past that they believed did wrong and yeah first of all i think that's i think that could be a good thing because through social media we're able to look at our own society and to examine our own society to see whether there are things that we could do to improve our own country and our own community uh, but one thing that i think is a negative consequence of this interconnectivity is that we are learning i'm not sure i feel like we are beginning to sort of adapt and take on board the very brash and polarizing actions that are the norm in other countries for example i think in new zealand for the most part people have been barely um they've generally tended to engage in friendly discourse and new zealanders for the most part are much friendlier and the political scene in new zealand i think the, the social scene in new zealand is much less polarized than america but i feel like i feel like the polarized nature of america is sort of percolating into new zealand society due to social media and so for i'll give an example to that for example the you mentioned how some people were trying to pull down the statues i think the, so yeah that's definitely like a very extreme action to take people are actively trying to pull down physically pull down statues and i think that's a very very um extreme action that someone can take and that's definitely something that people saw on social media that's something that people saw on tiktok and instagram and snapchat of people doing in america and then through social media they saw what was happening they adapted to that and they took that rationale and that ideology on board and they implemented that in new zealand so i think that's really interesting and personally i think that's not the very that's not a very kiwi thing to do i don't think that's a kiwi way of approaching issues well i'd argue i'd argue the opposite because i feel like it's not like once it was social media like that was mm. the time when extreme action only started in new zealand like if you look mm. like to like bastion point um where they were occupying that just to like get their land back for days on end and also like just like really like traditional issues like ifu martel like i feel like um like people are still like in intrinsically willing to go to these lengths to protect whatever they believe in mm. and, I, and i don't think it's because they saw on a tiktok that they want to do it i think i think definitely people have resorted to extreme actions in the past um i think maybe though for some issues certain actions have been taken when certain actions have been taken to certain extremes when perhaps they didn't need to be taken to such extremes mm. but i definitely agree in the in, with the argument that protest hasn't always been peaceful and meaningful change did not always occur through peaceful means definitely i mean do you guys like reckon it's okay to like 
threaten the mayor that you're just going to vandalize a statue if they don't properly take it down? Mm, no, I don't think so. <laughs> like, just intuitively, um, I don't really think so either. Well, is there, uh, at the end of the day, like, it got the statue taken down pretty quickly. And, mm. you know, it was really effective, you could say. Um, so I feel like um, taking the devil's advocate, like, it would be very difficult in, like, a, I guess you could say more civil way to get this done pretty quick. If you're just going to, like, talk it out, have, like, a lot of, like, civil debate, like, it's going to be a very long time before it. Yeah get the momentum for the mayor to decide on that right mm. i guess so but it also depends on the nature of the issue right like with the statue i don't think there was there existed any kind of like particularly urgent need for it to get taken down really fast like just that like if it got taken down eventually then the purpose of kind of saying we don't stand for you know the kind of mistreatment of our ind indigenous people like, I think that would have been enough, even if it was kind of delayed. If you like this episode, give the podcast a follow on wherever you're listening, so you'll be the first to know when we upload. We'll be releasing an episode every Sunday, New Zealand time. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook. We're Generation Discourse everywhere.